becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Elder Law is a complex affair filled with twists and turns, pitfalls and loopholes that can have dire consequences. Which is why, when it comes to matters that affect our ageing parents, not just any lawyer will do. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane's special guest, attorney Amos Goodall, president of the National Elder Law Foundation, is here to tell us what to look for when seeking elder law counsel. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. If I were to list all of the qualifications of this week's special guest, we'd have no time left in the show. So let me just say, he's a certified elder law attorney practicing in Center County, Pennsylvania, with the firm Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yurchek, where he's been practicing elder law since 1976. In 1979, he was admitted to the bar of the United States Supreme Court. Since 1992, the prestigious law directory, Martindale Hubble, has recognized him as a preeminent attorney. And this year, Philadelphia Magazine named him a super lawyer in elder law, as they have every year since the category was created. He's a fellow of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and currently serves as president of the National Elder Law Foundation. Attorney Amos Goodall, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And we're so happy to have you because we have so many questions, our listeners and myself, you know, for for us as adults and for our parents. So I think the first question everyone wants to know is, what is a certified elder law attorney? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. There are a lot of lawyers who uh, have chosen to hold themselves out as elder law practitioners, but the certification means that the uh, attorney has gone through a fairly exacting process to demonstrate that he or she has knowledge and experience in this field. Uh, the National Elder Law Foundation uh, has been uh, certifying and uh, testing attorneys for the last 25 years. There's a, a rigorous process that, that, that an attorney would have to go through to uh, to become certified. For example, there's a six-and-a-half-hour examination that has about a 35% pass rate. Wow. That's one of a number of things that attorneys have to do before they become certified. Now, um, I, I was reading that um, not every community um, has, you know, certified elder law attorneys. Like, how would one go about finding finding one where they live well there's a the, the my organization the national elder law foundation maintains a directory uh our website is nelf.org okay. uh, n-e-l-f dot o-r-g and on that directory uh, one can 
uh, locate the attorneys near wherever one is. There are about 500 certified attorneys in the, in the United States. Uh, and for po- folks who are not particularly computer literate, yes. <laughs> uh, if they can find their way to the Elder Law Foundation website or at least get the phone number, they can call our executive director and she'll help them. Okay, that's wonderful because, you know, people just assume a lawyer is a lawyer, you know, and they just go to the phone book and find someone in their town. So so if we go on that website, we'll be able to find a certified elder law attorney. Perfect. You would. And I have to be honest to say that not uh, that there are good lawyers who do not have the elder law certification. Okay. Uh, and so if you have friends, if you have other uh, colleagues, uh, people who have gone to lawyers, or if you have your own family lawyer, it would be good to talk to them to see who else in your neighborhood they might they might recommend. But the gold standard is this elder law certifi- certification. Now, what what age should someone see a certified elder law attorney? Well, I I usually say that if you're old, if you think you may get old someday, or if you know <laughs> someone who's old, you should at least think about uh, an elder law attorney. I mean, the things that we do, the, we, we talk about, we do estate planning, we do uh, capacity planning, we do fiduciary, re- we talk about fiduciary representative. One of the things we're best known for is uh, public benefits advice, and we do all these same things for families with children with special needs. So look at, in our history, um, the, uh, one of the things we talk about are uh, living wills, for example. And if you look in our history, the three young women who were struck down in the primes of their lives, Karen Ann Quinlan, Nancy Cruzan, and Terry Schiavo, were all young women, and all of whom would have benefited by the, by the chance to have expressed what their wishes would be uh, and also to have those wishes carried out. And, and wouldn't it be better if their families were supporting them rather than fighting amongst themselves as to what should happen? Right, definitely. I, you know, when I talk to families, there's so many families that they have they don't have any planning documents. You know, they don't have anything. Um, and you know, I was reading that powers powers of attorney. Those are, to, you know, one of the one one or two of the most important pieces of paper people should have. One of the uh, of planning documents that people should have. Could you? Tell us about, you know, powers of attorney. Sure. Um, well, and uh, the, a power of attorney is a document where you say what you want to have happen or, wh- or where you authorize someone to say what should happen if you can't say it. So you, you write a power of attorney and you say, uh, I want my wife, I want my husband, I want my friend to make decisions for me in these areas. And we usually recommend, I mean, there are... Um, Every case is a little different, but we usually recommend that, uh, that the power of attorney be as broad as possible, that it give as much authority to the person that you trust as possible so that person can make decisions for you. Okay. Um, each state has rules relating to powers of attorney, and it's important that the power comply with the rules in each state. Uh, you can you certainly download a power of attorney over the Internet, right. but you have no idea if it's valid in your state, and you don't have no idea if you fill it out properly. Right. uh, um, For the cost of uh, having an attorney prepare a a good power of attorney, you have a lot of a lot of comfort and and you can be sure that what you want to have happen actually will. Uh, Now, should a should a person have a medical and a financial? Well, those are two different types of decision making. And 
Sometimes those are combined in the same document. Sometimes there's both a medical and a legal power of attorney. Okay. Sometimes those are in different documents. Um, but but one should have uh, someone to make decisions for them when they can, both in the in the business area and in the uh, uh, in the medical area. Um, for example, when I was writing my own living will and, and medical power of attorney, I didn't want to burden my children. I wanted to name my wife as my the primary decision maker, but I didn't want to burden my children with that uh, if something if something had happened to her and a decision needed to be made for me. So I talked to my law partner and said, you know, uh, would you would you be the number two person on this? And and her answer was. Well, let me understand, Amos. If you're dead, I get this practice right. Well, I'll do that in a second. And that was exactly <laughs> the kind of person I wanted in that role for me. Right. Okay. And how about um, the term "durable" power of attorney? That's the term "durable" is is uh, often uh, bandied about. It, under the old common law, uh, a power of attorney ceased to exist when you or ceased to be uh, give authority when you lost your capacity. And of course, that's why we want them. Right. Okay. So, uh, so a power attorneys began to write powers of attorney and say they are durable. And now in most states, uh, powers of attorney are durable. They do last beyond your incapacity, uh, unless they say they don't. However, most, most lawyers put it, put the word in there anyway, sort of like a belt and suspenders. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Does everyone need a will? That's, uh, you, you know, most people actually do need wills. Um, the What I say to folks is that everyone has an estate plan. The uh, In Pennsylvania, the legislature has created an estate plan for everyone. It's called the Law of Intestate Succession. However, that plan may not be what people want. So, for example, uh, if, I'm, if I'm married and I, I – most clients – who are in a happy marriage, typically a first marriage, say, I want everything to go to my spouse when right. I die. Right. Uh, and if they're in a second marriage, they may say, I want everything to go to my spouse. They may say, I want some to go to my spouse, some to my children. They may want it all to go in trust for their spouse. None of those things that I just mentioned, all to my spouse in a first marriage or, or trust for my spouse in a second marriage, none of those things are part of the legislature's estate plan, the intestate estate plan. So... If you want to say what's going to happen to your things after you die, you need to do an estate plan. And there's so many different wrinkles that an attorney can help with. For example, do you have a child who has special needs? If, if you don't have a will and the property all goes to the child, will that uh, impair their ability to receive uh, benefits? Um, if, it, if you have a large estate that goes to a child, will it be tied up? in some sort of court-supervised account when it could should be being used for the child uh, when the child's being raised. All of those things are addressed in a will. They're not addressed in the legislature's uh, intestate estate plan. I see. Amos, one of the things I'm asked all the time is, am I responsible for my elderly parents' medical bills or will I inherit my parents' debt? But before we get to that, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, I'm going to tell you something that you absolutely need to hear. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, 
she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on demand using the iHeartRadio app. I want to welcome our new listeners in Louisiana, Lake Charles, Shreveport, and Mandeville. In Arkansas, Springdale, Pine Bluff, and Rogers. And in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Traverse City, Grand Haven, and Farmington Hills. Welcome and thank you so much for listening. We're here with Amos Goodall, who's a certified elder law attorney, and he currently serves as president of the National Elder Law Foundation. So Amos, there is this question that I get all the time. Am I responsible for my elderly parents' medical bills? Well, unfortunately, there's not a clear answer to that question, or at least it varies state by state. Okay. In Pennsylvania, for example, we have a law called the filial responsibility law that says that under some circumstances, children are responsible for the necessary bills of their parents. Huh. Uh, necessaries would include such a thing as a nursing home bill. Okay. Um, now, it would that law does not apply if the person is a Medicaid beneficiary. Um, but is receiving Medicaid, but it would apply if if a person is in a nursing home, perhaps, and doesn't qualify for Medicaid for some okay. reason, and uh, the children might have to pay that. Um, wow. The, the other part of your question was, do children inherit their parents' yes. bills? No, they don't. Okay. Uh, the, uh, you, uh, you, if you may have an independent, some independent liability, for example, to a nursing home, but if you're if you're father dies and he owes a big bill to his uh, landlord, that, that doesn't come to you. Okay. So if, um, if 
someone, let's say in Pennsylvania, has a, a, a parent in a nursing home and um, maybe they're, they're not on, the parent is not on Medicaid and their parent's money, I guess, has run out. Is that what you're saying, that we would... Um, well, you know, if, if that's why you need to talk to a certified elder law attorney, because the situation you just posited, right. the uh, person is in a nursing home, perhaps a nursing home that accepts Medicaid, right. and their money runs out, then they're probably going to qualify for Medicaid. They're most, most everyone in this country, under those circumstances, would qualify for Medicaid. Now, if they don't apply, right. uh, if, if the children have uh, uh, taken their money, you know, maybe the power of attorney has transferred all the money to, to, to the children, um, and so, therefore, the parent wouldn't qualify for Medicaid. Then, then, then that's the situation that that might occur. Okay. And it's that that's when the children might be liable. And and um, it's often unfortunate that if if a out of state if a, a parent is, has has uh, uh, somehow been convinced to transfer money to an out of state child, and the parents in the state and and needs med needs a nursing home, yeah. and the local children might end up paying. Wow. Yeah, I, I know that's a it's a it's a tricky issue, and um, people get worried. You know, people don't don't understand, and that's why you definitely have to see a certified elder law attorney. Right, um, because there you know there are things that you can do to uh, minimize that from happening. Okay, uh, there are strategies, and, and you know each case is going to be a little bit different. Right, but that's that um, we train to try to help folks under those circumstances. Now, how about a, a spouse? Am I, you know, am I responsible to pay for my spouse's care? Generally, the answer to that is yes. Again, there are some exceptions, and, and a, a, a certified elder law attorney can talk about exceptions. Okay. But generally, uh, if you're talking about a nursing home bill, a, uh, a spouse is just as obligated to pay as, uh, as the children might be, even more so than the children, in fact. Okay. I guess so, Yeah. <laughs> So, and and uh, in most states, these, uh, when one is seeking Medicaid, all or most of the what's called the community spouse, the spouse at home, okay. all or most of that spouse's uh, assets, resources, money, uh, can be uh, counted to determine whether the person qualifies for Medicaid. Really? So it's it's. Each general rule I've said has has exceptions, and right. there are strategies to deal with those. But that's why it's important to talk to a lawyer to to help to do that. Uh, there are many agencies that will help an, uh, a family apply for uh, a nursing home uh, uh, qualification. The trouble is that uh, the, the people who are not people who are doing that who are not lawyers may not be familiar with the strategies, and in fact. They may be more interested in preserving the rights of the nursing home than they are the rights of the uh, client. Exactly. Now, what happens to me if my spouse needs to go to a nursing home and we have to apply to Medicaid and we own a home? Well, in most states, well, in in all states, a home uh, is exempt up to a, a certain amount, and that varies. There, there are several different numbers. Okay. But the home is an, is considered an exempt resource. Now, if you're living in a ten million dollar Taj Mahal <laughs> right. home, that might not be an exempt resource. But if you're living in a ten million dollar Taj Mahal home, you probably ought to be paying privately for your exactly. uh, nursing home care. Uh, but it, so that the home is exempt uh, when uh, when uh, when the two when either one of the spouses is, is still alive. 
what happens though in many states is that when the second spouse dies right if that second spouse has received medicaid benefits uh, the state may have a claim against the home or against anything else any other property that the second spouse has uh-huh. uh, so that they don't it's they don't lose it because one of them goes into the nursing home but they may not if they haven't taken some proactive steps earlier uh, not have it available to pass to their children okay what is a DNR? Uh, DNR stands for do not resuscitate. And there are, in the um, area of end of life, basically medical decision making, there are three uh, kinds of documents that people can look at. The first document is called, I call a living will, or it's advanced directive for healthcare. Okay. It's where the client sits with the lawyer and, and says, these are the things that I want to have happen at the end of my life. I'm I'm perfectly healthy now, but if, for example, I have advanced Alzheimer's, I don't want to be to use uh, uh, heroic means to keep me alive. Okay, that would be something that would go into a living will. Uh, a, um, a DNR is an order issued by a doctor that says, "Do not resuscitate. Do not administer cardiopulmonary resuscitation to this." Uh, the person for whom I've issued this order. Okay. Um, so if you have, you might be, uh, you might have a living will that you had just signed. Okay. And have a heart attack and be lying on the floor holding a living will in your hands, and uh, uh, the emergency crew came to see what they were, should be doing. Right. In most states, that that uh, living will wouldn't apply. It don't, it doesn't apply in an emergency situation. A DNR would. They would see if they if you had a valid DNR, they they would uh, undoubtedly comply with it. The third, and that's a DNR deals with, uh, as I said, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Okay. Breathing and heartbeat. Um, the other uh, type of an order, and again, it's a, the, the DNR and a pulse, a, um, a physician ordered um, life support order, P O L S T. Um, deals is issued by the doctor, not by the not by the patient and the, the client and the lawyer. Okay. And the post order allows the client to be more uh, definitive. I mean, it, it it has a section dealing with cardiopulmonary resuscitation, but it also talks about other medical interventions. And so, if you have a if you have um, if you are of advanced age, if you are of have an advanced illness, if the 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 sort of lay standard for a post order is: Would you? Would the doctor be surprised if you died within a year? Um, uh, if you're in that situation and you you and your doctor think it's appropriate, you can say, for example, if I have, if I'm breathing and I have a pulse, but I can't say anything, I can't make myself understood. Right. I want comfort measures only. I want treatments to prevent pain and suffering only. Don't take me to the hospital. Don't do anything heroic. Just keep me comfortable. Um, you could be more specific. You could be have uh, a greater intervention and say, "I want some limited treatments. I want IV fluids, for example." Okay. Um, or you could say, "I want the full boat. Take me to the hospital and and, and do everything." Right. <laughs> Does a DNR expire after a certain period of time? Uh, as far as I know, a DNR is doesn't expire. But okay. I I suggest. That if a patient has, if a client has a DNR and is, it's getting to be uh, an old, 
document, it would be a good idea to talk to the doctor again because the client's circumstances would change. Okay. And, I, and I, I'd suggest that it's not, it, it's not something that, that you just should ignore. You should keep after it. Okay. And these documents, I mean, wills, powers of attorney, do they have to be updated? Well, the uh, we, what I usually tell clients is that uh, you should uh, take a look. You should come into the office, and, and we should take a look at your documents. Anytime there's been a major change in your life, if you've okay. moved, if you've uh, um, uh, if you've had another child, uh, if you've gotten married, got divorced, etc., uh, we should take a look at the documents. And also, I suggest that they come in about every time there's a presidential election, not. Not because of who may, who might or might not be elected president, right. but that that starts them thinking about it about every four years, and okay. by the time they get around to it, it's been about the fifth year, and it's <laughs> you should have them looked at about every five years. Okay, so that's important. It is. Now, I should also say that a number of insurance companies, a number of banks, a number of other institutions say that a power of attorney goes stale. They say oh, it's an old power of attorney; we don't have to honor it. Huh. And in many, many states, the legislatures have passed laws saying that's not so, that the that if a power of attorney is valid, it never goes stale. It, it always should be honored. So if you have somebody that uh, uh, has been suffering from dementia for right. 10 years and couldn't write a new power, uh, updated power of attorney, the old one should still work. Okay. It should, yeah. You it hear that with... It really should. Okay, yeah. perfect. Amos, could you... Tell us the website again for the National Elder Law Foundation. Sure, it is nelf.org. And we'll put that on our um, resource section, and we'll also include the phone number as well. Right. For I'll give it to you right now. Oh, perfect. It's 520-881-1076. Uh, um, perfect. And we will have that information in our resource section. I really hope this episode helped you with something you may be going through at the moment. Please keep emailing your questions and comments and tell me as much as you can because what you share can help someone else. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Subscribe to our show on iHeartRadio. iPhone users can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. I'd love it if you'd share this episode with your family, coworkers, and friends. Episode number 73. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We're all about helping each other and parents are hard to raise. And one of the ways you can help someone else find our show is to give it a high rating. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Amos. This was really important information. Till then, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.